The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you so much for your truth. Father, I pray that our hearts will be open and receptive to your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray for power and clarity for Randall as he speaks. Um, just use him to communicate your word to us, Lord, and for us to be able to hear you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Ethan. All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. We are in the book of Hebrews, and we are wrapping it up. We are in the last chapter right here. And so if you're just joining us today, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. It's great to have you here this Labor Day weekend. Um, you guys enjoying Labor Day weekend? You're like, okay, yeah, it's good, all right. Yes, and um, extra day off, but glad you're here today. Um, our text today is from Hebrews 13. We're gonna be looking at verses uh, 10 through 16. And um, here's the message that we're gonna be talking about. We, we've been talking about the, the whole book of Hebrews, again, coming back to Jesus. Um, but as he's wrapping up this, this, this letter here, what is this message in this text? It's this, it's living in the tension. It's living in the tension. Now, as we've been looking uh, through this, we've been talking about in this last chapter how the writer is getting to some really crucial, important things as he's wrapping up this letter. And as we're writing this, as he's writing this, he's telling us this, that Jesus is better. Throughout the, the book, it's been Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And as you're living in the tension of this world, um, he's, he's telling us here that Jesus is better. Now, why is that message of Jesus being better so important for the people that he's writing to? Well, he's, he's writing to a Jewish city-dwelling uh, Christian group audience here, and, and they're undergoing immense persecution uh, from their culture. They're, they're being beaten down in their faith. So as we've been talking about this group of people that he's writing to, they've been beaten down again and again because of their faith in Jesus. And so the author is pastoring them in this text by reminding them that the reason they are facing such persecution is because they are called by God to live in the middle of a tension. And here's what the tension is, the tension of two cities. The present city in which they're living in and the heavenly city that God is building. You see, that's, what, that's why he says back in Hebrews chapter 11, this, he says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. So he's talking about the people of faith. This is the, what we call the hall of faith right here, chapter 11. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. 
See, in this text, the, the Greek word translated for foreigners is, is a word that referred to a speci- specific status in Greco-Roman society. And basically what he was calling them was they were resident aliens. Resident aliens. So what he's saying is that as a Christian, you're not a tourist in your own city. You're not just passing through, but you're a permanent resident. You live there, but you don't fit in. You don't fit in. And so last week we talked about you're not gonna fit into the rest of the culture. And again, he's reminding us that you are not gonna fit in because you are a resident alien. Peter, in, in 1 Peter 2.11 says, your primary, primary citizenship is in heaven. And so as we talk about living in this tension, what does that tension look like? It looks like the, the present reality that you lo- live in right now, but yet that God is working and he's building a city that is eternal. And in the midst of this, you and I need to know that if we follow Jesus, you're not gonna fit in. There's gonna be times where you're misunderstood because you're living in a tension. Two cities, one present, one to come, and we're called to reflect Jesus in this in our everyday life. See, the, the reality that when you look around and that the present city that you live in is not it. I know we want to believe in San Diego, we got America's finest city, this is just how it's supposed to be. You know, we, we, we get so pumped up on that. But here's the thing, Th- this is not heaven. It's not heaven. And we need to focus on heaven. And so that is what the writer's telling us. C.S. Lewis says it well, he says, he says, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. You know, this past week, I got to go back to Hawaii, which is where I'm originally from, and my cousin is getting married. Uh, he got married last night, and so we took a red eye. Literally, last night, got in this morning. And so I'm a, if I'm a little off today, that's why, okay? <laughs> but um, but uh, I'm still waking up here. But it was, it was a great time. And, and one of the, the, the best times for me on this trip was being able to spend time with my grandma, my grandma Grace, uh, in, in her late 80s loves Jesus, loves Jesus. And so I just got to sit there with her and just glean the wisdom. I just said, you know, my, my wife asked, Grandma, what's, what's your favorite book of the Bible right now? She's telling us, you know, she's loving Psalms right now. She's reading Corinthians. She's just, she's just experiencing the joy of the Lord. And, and here's the thing. She talked a lot about heaven. One of the things she said, she says, you know, I I just want to hear from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so as as I listen to her, this is somebody who is, she's focused on eternity. She's focused on that, that city that God's building. But here's the thing, she is effective in this one because she's making an impact on me and other people and she's going out and doing ministry in her late 80s and, and loving the community where she lives 
See, this is somebody, this is what I'm talking about, but you and I live in this tension. And so how do we get to that place? Well, our text today is Hebrews 13, 10 through 16. And this text helps us to understand how to live in the tension of two cities, present and heavenly, in three ways. And so as Christians, we must, number one, go outside the city. Number two, see beyond the city. And number three, live for the city. Go outside the city, see beyond the city, live for the city. And that's from this text today. And so we're gonna break this down together. And so we're gonna start at the first point, go outside the city. What does that mean? Well, look at verses 10 through 13. It says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Uh, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, this text right here is is very important because it gives us the foundation for what we're talking about today. Everything else hinges on this text. And for many of us, it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because it's, it's based on what we would say is the Hebrew Jewish culture. But here's what we need to know. On the great day of atonement in the Hebrew culture, an animal would be slaughtered for the sin of the people. But not just the sin of the people, also the sin of the high priest. The sacrifice was not eaten because it was for the sins of people. And, and so usually there'd be little sacrifice along the way that the priest could eat, but this one they couldn't eat. And so that's what it's talking about there in verse 10. And so what they would do is they would completely burn it um, and, and it would be completely incinerated, gone, and, and it was a foreshadow to the sacrifice that Jesus would make. Now, now what's the author's point? It's the same one he's been making throughout the book. He's saying, yeah, th- this, there was this sacrifice that, that the, the high priest would make once a year, the year, the, the, the day of atonement where, where all the sins would be placed on this animal and it would be sacrificed. But now Jesus has given us a better sacrifice. F.F. F. Bruce, who's a commentator, says the sacrifice of Jesus is a better sacrifice because those who enter the heavenly sanctuary by the blood of Jesus know that the one who became their perfect sin offering is permanently available as the source of their spiritual nourishment and refreshment as they feed on him and their hearts by faith. Here's the thing. That sacrifice, once it was made, was made once a year, um, it, it wasn't touched by anyone. No, no one could eat off of it, right? It was done because that, it was destroyed by sin. That was the, the point. But Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice for you and me, sin did not destroy Jesus. It didn't incinerate Jesus. But Jesus is a better sacrifice because he says that he is still ministering to us. We feed off of him even though that sacrifice couldn't be fed off of Jesus is a better sacrifice than he could be fed off of and nourish us now. I wanna give a couple insights on why this is important. 
And, and the first one is this, that you and I must go outside the city to understand Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. Christianity, true Christianity doesn't fit into people's boxes of religion. During the first century, people would have said, okay, you Christians, you have no religion because you have no sacrifices. You're not continually making sacrifices to appease God. And so they would have been very confused during that time. I've used this before, but I think this is really helpful for us to give us the context. Um, Timothy Keller says this. He says, imagine early Christians talking to their neighbors in the Roman Empire. Ah, the neighbor says, I hear you are religious. Great, religion is a good thing. Where's your temple or your holy place? We don't have a temple, replies the Christian. Jesus is our temple. No temple? But where, where do you, your priests work and do their rituals? We don't have priests to mediate the presence of God, replies the Christian. Jesus is our priest. No priests? Where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? We don't need a sacrifice, replies the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. What kind of religion is this, sputters the pagan neighbor. And the answer is, this Christian faith is so utterly different than how every other religion works that it doesn't really deserve to be called a religion. And so why is this important? Because it's not going to make sense to you and me from the start. It, it, we're gonna be confused by this because we're like, okay, what, what, what does this mean? Here's what it means. See, many of us were built to, to believe and in, in, ingrained in us that we must earn God's love and favor. I gotta do it. I gotta get myself right. I gotta get myself cleaned up. But Christianity tells us that you can't do it. You can't clean yourself up. It offends us and tells us that we needed God who sacrificed his son for our sin. Doesn't make sense to us because it's not based on us. See, many times we wanna put ourselves at the center of this. I wanna clean up myself, I wanna clean up my life, I wanna make things right before God so that I can be accepted by God. But here's the thing, God says you can't and so you gotta to come to me for the sacrifice. See, it's all about Jesus. See, it doesn't make sense to us because it's not based on us, it's, it's, it's based on, not, not on our power, our strength, our offering to God, it's God's offering for us. See, when we believe that Jesus died and now offers us the great exchange, his life for my life, you really want my life, God? You really want me? You would forgive me? We say, what? How could that be? That, that God would, would just say that I, I believe in the sacrifice that Jesus has done for me and then that's it? What? But no, that's not it. That's everything. It's everything. It cost God everything. That's what grace is. That it cost God everything, his, his very son, to save me. That's how desperate it was. And you know where it happened? It happened outside the city. It happened in a place of loneliness. It happened in a place of, re of rejection. It wasn't the cool, hip place to be in the city. It was outside the city. 
So do you know what that means for you and me? To accept Jesus, we must go outside the city, outside the box of religion that we've put around God and says, this is what it looks like to follow you in my mind and see that it's everything that God's done for us on the cross, on the cross. See, we must go outside the city and, and, and see that, secondly, that our Savior died outside the city. He died outside the city. Why did he die outside the city? Well, because Jesus was not accepted by the world. He was bitterly rejected. And you must understand, and I must understand, that to follow Jesus, you will experience levels of rejection just like he did. Jesus tells us that. He tells us that in John 15, 19. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Again, to understand Christianity, we have to understand that it's, it's, a, it's, it's outside the city. It doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't fit into boxes. See, people may say to you, well, you're a Christian? I thought you were more educated than that. I thought you were more sophisticated than to believe that, that Jesus stuff. See, and here's the thing, especially living in a city, a very educated part of the city, more and more people will probably look down, may look down on you for being a Christian, may exclude you from certain events and opportunities because of your faith. But this is telling us don't be surprised by this because Christianity comes from outside the city. Where was Jesus born? In a small little stable outside the city. Humble means. And that's where Christianity comes from. And so we must understand that for ourselves. The second part is this, see beyond the city. So we see the outside the city part, now we see beyond the city. Um, look at verse 14, it says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now this verse is about perspective. For many of us, we can live in the here and now and that's it. But the author now points us to having a perspective that is much more than what we see in front of us. He's pointing us to an eternal perspective, a lasting perspective. Verse 14, the author says it. He says, here. And then says, we have no lasting city. Here, we have no lasting city. This is very practical. Here's what we need to know. Things change. Cities change. Places change. Things don't last. You know, as I was going throughout the city of Honolulu where I have so many memories of my grandparents taking me from here to there and, and going all around and remembering places with my family. But then, then just seeing like everything is just kind of changing around me. As I, as I drive by, I'm like, man, I don't recognize that place and that place. And, and so we had one of those moments where 
we were going out to breakfast as a family. It was right down the street. There's Wailana Coffee Shop. I'm like, yes, we're going to go over here to the coffee shop. And, and here's the thing. I, I get all the kids in the car, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, very <laughs> difficult thing. So I got three kids, get them all in the car, ready for breakfast. And they're like, Dad, where are we going? You know, let's get breakfast. I'm hungry. And so we get in the parking garage, and I said, okay, we're going to the Wailana guys, going to the coffee house, it's right up here. You get the pancakes, everything, and uh, get up to the, the lady who's taking, uh, you know, our, our, um, our uh, parking, parking stuff, you know, like I got to pay the parking ticket and everything, come up to her and say, okay, I'm ready to pay the parking ticket. And uh, I said, she said, where are you going? I said, the Wailana coffee house, right, it says right there, Wailana coffee house. She said, oh, oh, that's been closed for a year. Close for a year, like, <laughs> that was a sad moment, okay, for me. <laughs> Close for a year, it wasn't like last week, you know, it was like a year. Oh, great, all right, well, everybody knows it now. It's been closed, except for me. <laughs> um, but here's the thing, what, is it, what, is it, what does it look like to be a Christian? Is it gonna be just continually seeking the things that are the, the here? Because the Bible tells us it doesn't, it doesn't last. Even some of the greatest memories that, that we have, they fade. And so what does it look like to be a Christian? He says, we seek the city that is to come. We seek the city that is to come. See, I can't remake the past. You can't, you can't remake the way things used to be. And so what is the author of, of Hebrews telling us? He's telling us that, he's telling us this. Your hope in this world is that there is a lasting city that is to come where, where he told us that God is the builder, the eternal city that never changes. You see, remember last week when we talked about this, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want consistency? Come to Christ, see what he can do. For Christians, this is our hope. And to do this, we must look beyond the city, beyond what we see around us, to the lasting city that only God can build. Last point, number three, live for the city. Look at verses 15 and 16, it says, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what, what is it that pleases God? Right, that, that's what we're getting to right here as, as we look at this live for the city. What is it that pleases God? A life of sacrifice. A life of sacrifice. You know what that is? A life of saying, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about me. Verse 16, the Greek word used to, to share what you have is the word koinonia. And, and this word in particular is a word that emphasizes a life lived in sacrifice for others. The, the fellowship, the relationships that are built because of sacrifice. See, see what are the, the best communities built off of? Are, are they built off of people saying, it's all about me, and, and, and I'm gonna get mine. 
Or is it a community that says it's actually not about me, it's about others? I'm here to share what I have, I'm here to give, I'm here to sacrifice, I'm here to love. You see this life of koinonia, who, who does that reflect? It reflects the one who went outside the city for you and me, Jesus. It's a calling to live for the city as Jesus lived his life and sacrifice for the city. But here's the thing, this can't be on our own strength. Remember the thing Jesus says, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You tried that? You ever tried that? It's not easy. Why? Because I love myself a lot. (laughs) I love myself a lot, right? Like we think about ourselves a lot. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, it, it, it should feel like an impossible task, an impossible task. Wendell Berry says this. He says, the intentional community idea assumes that when you say love your neighbor as yourself, you have some kinds of right to go out and pick your neighbor. I think that the ideal of loving your neighbor has to take on the possibility that he may be somebody you're going to have very difficult or great difficulty loving or liking or even tolerating. Okay, so, so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and we're talking about koinonia here, loving, love for the city, what's the key to this? Well, we, could, we kind of breezed over it in verse 15. It's just two words. Two words. Here's what it says in verse 15. Through him. Through him. Not through your strength, not through your ability, not through just your loving kindness, not through your ability to build great community through your sacrifice. No, it says through him. Who's him? It's Jesus. It's God. See, this must be done on God's strength, not our own. And we have to know that to love my neighbor as myself, it says first, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. See, it's the love of God flowing into my life, changing me so that I can actually love others and love the city that I live in, love the community. It's from God. And so quickly, some takeaways. How can we live in the tension? Well, the first point is this. You have to acknowledge the tension. You have to acknowledge the tension. Um, We have to acknowledge that that it's there, that it's real, that that there's gonna be times where you're gonna be really disappointed, where you're gonna be frustrated, where where you're gonna be excluded, where where you're just not gonna fit in, where you're gonna be misunderstood. That's just the reality of this. Oswald Chambers said this, he says, Jesus Christ can afford to be misunderstood. We cannot. Our weakness lies in always wanting to vindicate ourselves. Always wanting to vindicate ourselves. Right, we're always trying to prove ourselves. That's why we can't live like Jesus. See, but Jesus was was willing to be misunderstood. And so to live like that, we gotta acknowledge that there's a tension. We gotta ask God, help me to be willing to be misunderstood, 
for your glory. See, because what is this talking about? What does this go back to? It says, pleasing God. Pleasing God. What happens many times when I get off track, I'm trying to please people. I'm trying to please myself. But what it tells us is to please God. And so I got to acknowledge the tension in knowing that I'm just not going to fit in if I'm trying to please God. Second, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember the good news. There's a book called Dignity by uh, Dr. Donna Hicks. And this, I thought this was interesting. So she, she's not a Christian author, but I think this is very helpful for us because this illustration really stuck out to me. She says this. She said, I heard recently about a man who was awarded a prestigious employee recognition award for his co- contributions to his company. By all accounts, the award was clear affirmation of his dignity. Yet when asked how he felt about receiving the award, he said that he still felt like a number, that he wasn't really seen or recognized for who he was. Without an internalized belief in his own worthiness, unless his wounds from the earlier imprints of his dignity were cleansed and healed, he would not be able to appreciate any validation of his worth from the outside, no matter how much recognition he was accorded. I thought this was really interesting because here's the thing. The praise of man isn't gonna heal your heart. It's not gonna heal mine. The glory of man is not going to heal your heart and and it's not going to heal mine. And so what we need to understand is why did Jesus go outside the city? Why did he do it? To cleanse you. I thought it was really interesting she uses the word cleansed and healed. How does your self-worth, how does your dignity, how how does your perception of who you are get cleansed and healed? It's by the one who went outside the city for you and me. You see what he's done for you? Do you know, did, did you real, this is such a practical story because it, it's so real for you and me on a daily basis. Don't you struggle with that? Don't you, don't, I, I struggle with it. I look at myself in the mirror and sometimes it's just like, man, I don't feel like I match up. I don't feel like I'm good enough. All of those things. What is it that heals you, cleanses you? It's knowing that someone loved you so much that he would die for you. God died for you. And so let me ask, is your heart cold or warm to the gospel? Is it cold or warm to that idea? Is it it melting your heart? Is it melting the ice that can just kind of get around our heart? Or or is it just something that, that we just hear again and again and we haven't internalized it? Because if we don't internalize it, maybe we've heard of Christ and maybe we've heard the gospel, but we'll be just like this guy. We'll never be good enough. It'll never be good enough. And so remember the gospel. And remember the power of the gospel that it's able to to break into our lives in a way that changes us. And lastly this, embrace your city. Embrace your city. You see, as Christians, we can view the city in various ways. For some of us, we run from the city. 
I don't want to be a part of the city. There's too many people. There's too much traffic. I don't want to be a part of that. And here's the thing. Christians have been known to run from the city because we just don't want to get entangled with it. Like all the bad people are over there. For some of us, we can use this city. You know, it's a big, beautiful city, many opportunities. I love the city because I can use the city. I can get what I want out of it. And what happens is we never invest in the city. We never make a difference and an impact in the city. But what, what does the gospel tell us? It, it tells us that you and I, our lives, we're, we're, we're saved. We're, we're, we're blessed by God, saved by him to be a blessing to others. See, when Jesus saves me, my life is not about me anymore. And so what does it look like to bless the city? Well, Proverbs 11, 10 through 11 tells us this. It says, when, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Why does it say when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices? I mean, who are, who are the, the righteous? Well, the word for righteous is the word Sadiq in the Hebrew. It's the Sadiq, the, 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 the Sadakim, the, the, the ones who are, are made righteous. It, it wasn't on their own strength or their own ability, but God makes them righteous. And, 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 and truly, when, when, when righteous people, when, when people who've been saved by God, who are, who are there not for themselves but for others, make a difference in a community, you know what? The city rejoices. The city rejoices. Why? Because the city has been made better by the sacrifices of the righteous one, the ones who love the Lord. It says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. See, this text gives us a beautiful picture of God's vision for his people living in a city. See, see, why do we say as a church that we are a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus? We are a church for our city. Why? Because we are not here for ourselves just to gather on a Sunday morning, but we are here to go out and be a blessing every day of the week. It's not just a Sunday, but it's every day. Alan Briggs, in his book, Staying is the New Going, I like that title. It says, many of us are in serious need of roots. Maybe you've been in your city for years, but you've never made it your home. Most of us are in this zone. We have a crush on the place we live, but we haven't made a commitment. And, 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 and here's what I encourage you to do. Embrace the place where God has put you. So many times in our culture, we have this wanderlust. Something's better on the other side. Something's better in this place or that place or that place. And then we really get worked up because we say, I, I have no relationships, I have no roots, I have no friendships. Or, but we've been looking in other places instead of looking right where God placed us to be. And so the author 
of Hebrews is, is ending and just saying, hey, hey, embrace where God has placed you to be, that city where he's placed you, and let your light shine for him. How do we do this? Well, it's when we let the gospel, the good news of Jesus, permeate every area of our lives. You see, it was the only righteous one, Jesus, that left the comforts of his heavenly home to come to our sinful world and to die for us. To die for us. And we talk about living in the tension. But I encourage you to remember this. John 6, 38 says this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You wanna know what the will of him who sent me is? When Jesus was talking, it's God the Father saying, hey, I sent you to go die for the people there so that they can understand what life is like outside of themselves. Outside of themselves. And they can be saved and they can be forgiven by what Jesus has done. And so will you let the gospel transform your heart and your life today? I hope you will. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for the good news. I thank you that this life is not our own, but we were bought at a price. The price, the cost was your son, Jesus. And, and, and Lord, if, if our hearts are cold to that right now or, or lukewarm to that, I pray that you warm our hearts, that you stir in our hearts, Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Christ has done for us, and I pray that it will change us. That we will embrace where you've placed us today to be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to this community in our city for the glory of Jesus. Knowing that we live in this tension of the now, of what we see around us, and that that's not it. That we have an eternal home with you. You're the builder, you're the architect. And so I just pray that you build our lives as we move closer and closer to that city. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.